Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. What a joy it is to be together to worship. Something happens when we get together to praise the name of the Lord. <clears throat> that happens nowhere and no other time. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like you to turn to the second chapter of the book of Acts. If you're using a Bible that's provided there, that's on page 1000. 78. When I arrived this morning, I realized that much was being asked of my left ear. I wear glasses, hearing aids, and now this little gadget. So uh, I decided to remove my hearing aid. So I'm only going to hear half of my message this morning. If anybody else would like to turn off their hearing aids, uh, feel free. I will not be offended. My name is Kurt Thompson. Many of you do not know me. Uh, we have been gone from Bethany for most of three years doing interim pastorates. When I came back, I walked in the door and looked around and I said, is this Bethany Baptist Church? Because there were so many new people and faces that I didn't recognize, and I said, praise God, praise God. That is a, a good thing. Well, despite the fact that some of you don't know me, Pastor Kim knows me quite well. Despite that fact, he asked me to preach today and uh, next Sunday as well. I'm not sure if that was a, an act of faith or foolishness on, on his part. And you may be interested that uh, Maureen and my relationship with Pastor Kim and Vicki go back over 30 years. Uh, in 1983, I was pastoring First Baptist Church in a little town in northwestern Minnesota called Roseau, and God proceeded to call us to the mission field, and so that church called their new pastor, a man by the name of Kim Swenson. And he was there for a little over 15 years, and then he came to Bethany. And if we fast forward a few years, Maureen and I found ourselves in Wausau, and we decided to look for the best church and the best pastor, and voila! <laughs> Here it was, Bethany Baptist Church. And uh, I just want to say, Pastor Kim didn't pay me to say this, um, I just praise God for Pastor Kim, a godly, Bible-believing, faithful, loving pastor. I don't know if, if you realize how fortunate and blessed we are to have a pastor like Pastor Kim Swenson. And Maureen and I are privileged to call uh, Bethany Baptist our home once again. Would you please bow together with me in prayer? God, we praise you for your presence today. I thank you for the presence of each man and woman and young person and boy and girl in this congregation. We believe we are here not because we chose to be, but because you chose that we be there. We thank you that we did not have to invent a message, but your word is what we attempt to proclaim. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of 
our hearts together may be acceptable in your sight and productive for the cause of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If I were to ask you, what are the five greatest events that the Christian church celebrates each year? If I were to ask you, what were the five, could you come up with the five? I believe that maybe you could come up with three. Perhaps the last two would be somewhat uh, more difficult to say. The first we would know is the incarnation, that is God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, God with us. The second great event is Christ dying on the cross, his crucifixion, his taking the sins of mankind on himself. We celebrate that on Good Friday. That is God for us. And then the great celebration of the resurrection, Christ being raised and uh, signifying that he has victory over sin and Satan and death itself. That we celebrate on Easter. That is God alive for us. The fourth now may be a little bit uh, less known and more difficult to come up with. I'm going to call that uh, the great departure. That is when Christ left his disciples, left this earth, and ascended back to the Father, and who now sits at the right hand of the Father, that is the ascension, and that is God above us. The ascension is so significant because it talks about the authority and the sovereignty of Christ and the fact that he is interceding for you and me. Now, when some human being tells you, I'm praying for you, that is powerful and significant. I remember a couple weeks ago, I uh, met Rita and embraced her and said, we have been praying for you every day since Gary passed away. Significant. But that pales compared to the wonder that Jesus Christ himself sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding. He is praying for you and for me. The fifth event, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor. He comes to indwell and empower every believer. This we celebrate and know as Pentecost, and that is God in us. And that is the great event that we celebrate today. How many of you knew that the Christian world today is celebrating Pentecost Sunday? About four or five. Must be a Baptist group, right? <clears throat> now, I'm going to tell you right off that I am preaching to myself more than to anyone else today because I'm a Baptist like you and... Um, so often we forget about the Holy Spirit. Let's read the biblical text that tells us about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And then he goes on to list all the places that these God-fearing Jews came from. And um, they are amazed and perplexed and ask, what does this mean in verse 12? Some thought that they were drunk, that they had too much wine. And then in verse 14, Peter stands up with 11, raises his voice and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and he quotes from the prophet Joel. We'll look at that passage in just a minute. Down to verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he talks about the life of this Lord, this Jesus of Nazareth, who lived and was crucified, and God raised him from the dead. Down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, unfortunately, Pentecost will go largely unnoticed, uncelebrated, and unpreached in many churches today. We make a lot of mistakes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of the woman who went to the emergency room with two severely burned ears. And the attending physician asked her, how on earth did this happen that both of your ears are so severely burned? And she said, well, I was innocently in my own home. I was ironing clothes. I had my cell phone right next to me. And my husband called. And I answered with the iron. The uh, physician said, that's very interesting. That explains why one ear is severely burned. What about the other ear that is equally burned? She said, well, the fool called back. <laughs> two big mistakes. And often we are guilty of two big mistakes, two extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We either fear him, we don't want to talk about him, or think about him. We certainly don't want to be called charismatic. We don't want to get carried away, and so we avoid the Holy Spirit. There are others who emphasize the Holy Spirit so much. They say you must speak in tongues, you must be slain in the Spirit, or we question your Christianity. There's another mistake concerning the Holy Spirit, and it has to do with time, past, present, and future. We believe in the wondrous God, acts of God in the past. You know, we read the Old Testament, we read the New Testament, and we say, wow, what an amazing, powerful God. We look to the future and say, 
Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to set all things right. So we know the future is taken care of. The past was great. The future is going to be great. But what about the in-between times? What about the present? What about now? Where is the wonder-working power of God? And that is why we want to talk and think and welcome the Holy Spirit. Dale Moody said we might as well try to hear without our ears or breathe without lungs as try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw from the church today, 95% of what we do would continue and no one would know the difference. God forbid that that be true of this church. Let's first of all talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to say is that the promise of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is not plan B. It's not a detour. It's not a sudden change in God's plan. Rather, it is an age-old promise in the Old Testament and the New Testament. For instance, Joel, in Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And then let's go to John chapter 14 and 16, where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another counselor, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But very truly I tell you, for it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And then shortly before Jesus' ascension back to heaven, these words are recorded. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of an age-old promise. Secondly, let's look at the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Who is this Holy Spirit? First of all, we need to know that he is personal. He is a person. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's a person. He has all the characteristics of personality. He discerns, he feels, he chooses, he searches, he teaches, he rejoices, and he grieves. Now, why is it significant 
that the Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force or influence, but rather a real person. Well, if the Holy Spirit were an it, we would say, how can I get it? How can I use it? But if he is a person, then the question we ask is, how can he get a hold of me? How can he use me? If he were an it, we'd say, how can I get more of it? Since he is a person, we ask, how can he get more of me? So first of all, we need to know that the Holy Spirit is a personal, is a person. Secondly, he's powerful. Now, Jesus knew that his disciples didn't need more precepts or principles or plans. They needed power. In a word, he is powerful because he is divine, because he is God. Jesus says, I'm going to send to you another counselor. That literally means one of the same kind. This counselor isn't going to be someone or something entirely different. He is the same as I am. He is God. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing, all-present. He is holy. He is truth. He is love. He is God. And so the same confidence the disciples of old and we have in Jesus, we also have with the Holy Spirit. He is equal with the Father and the Son. The third thing we need to know about the person of the Holy Spirit is that he is permanent. John 14, 16. The other counselor will be with you forever. Now up to this point, Jesus had been with them bodily in a limited form, but now with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, he will be there eternally and permanently until the end of the age. And finally, the products of the Holy Spirit. What happens? What does he produce in the believer? I was thinking about the Wizard of Oz and uh, Dorothy's three companions. You remember Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion? They all lack something, and therefore they desperately want that which they lack. Scarecrow had a shortage of brain power, and so he yearns to be smarter. Tin Man longs to have a heart. He, he longs to know what it is to love. And the lion lacks bravery. He wants to be courageous. And I think in a way these three longings summarize the work of the Holy Spirit in our mind, our heart, and our life. First of all, the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds. Jesus describes him as the spirit of truth. Albert Einstein said, I want to know the thoughts of God. All else is just details. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine unto them. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that is the man without the Spirit of God, cannot understand the things of God. They can only be discovered by the Spirit of God. So when a person hears the gospel, understands the gospel, and comes to faith 
in Jesus Christ, it's not because of some superior intellect on his or her part. Rather, it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit enlightening their minds. Secondly, the Holy Spirit energizes our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He warms us. He gives us direction. Without God, we are dead in sin, strangers to God. When we receive Christ, we are quickened by the Spirit. We're made alive. We are energized. And what used to fascinate us now bores us. And what we used to have no interest in at all now becomes our great fascination. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he energizes our hearts. And thirdly, he empowers our lives. Zechariah 4, 6. The Almighty says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. The symbol of the Holy Spirit is often fire, and fire sometimes destroys, but it also is very useful. It destroys uh, undergrowth. It, in effect, cleanses the fire. And so when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes, he burns up what is useless and trivial so that godliness can prosper in our lives. He gives us power and strength to give ourselves to God and to give ourselves to each other. And that's why in Scripture, Galatians 5 specifically, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Here is what you become. Here are characteristics that you will have when the Holy Spirit comes that you in no way have in your own strength or your own being. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are characteristics that we in no way have in our own strength. Only the Spirit of God gives them. And then we have the power to serve, and that's why in various passages in the New Testament we have a list of the gifts of the Spirit. They're not given for our glory. They are given so that we would have the power to serve the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Preaching, teaching, faith, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy, wisdom, and healing. It seems to me that the power of the Holy Spirit is often like the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. Now, if you have a rowboat, who provides the power? <laughs> you do. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And uh, if you have patience and discipline, you can get pretty good. You can build up strength. You can go for miles and miles at a decent speed. But eventually, if you have a rowboat, you're going to tire out. You're going to give up you're going to be dead in the water. Now, if you have a sailboat, where does the power come from? It comes from the wind. And all you have to do is catch it. And even the slightest breeze can get you moving. And when the wind picks up, you really fly. 
Some Christians live like they're rowing a boat. They're doing it all in their own strength. They're pushing, pulling, straining, gritting their teeth. It's not a lot of fun. You will eventually give out. You will give up. You will drift off course. So the secret of living the Christian life isn't to try harder. It's to yield more, to set our sails to catch the wind of God's Spirit. This week, I sat down and um, God brought to my mind the question, what if? What if the Holy Spirit had his way in my life? What if he had his way in our church? And here are some of the things that God brought to mind and I wrote down. If the Holy Spirit had his way, couples headed for divorce would be reconciled completely and permanently. Fathers would assume spiritual headship of their homes, teaching the scriptures and praying with their wives and children. Sins would be confessed before God and before others, and those sins would be put to death once and for all. Addicts, those who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, gossip, or grumbling would be delivered. They would be free to live in the joy of the Lord. We never have to ask for volunteers. There would be a line of those wanting to sacrifice time and treasure and talents. Prayer meeting would have to be moved from a little classroom or a living room to an auditorium because it would be the biggest meeting of the congregation. The congregation would actually believe that God answers prayer. The community would come to see the reality of people passionate about God, loving one another in radical ways, loving their neighbors as much as they love themselves. Sports and even politics would become secondary rather than all-consuming. Bitterness, grudges, anger, jealousy, pride would miraculously disappear. There would be a tsunami of generosity. We wouldn't ask, how much must I give? We would ask, how much can I give? Our witness in word and deed would be courageous, clear, and captivating. A revival, a coming alive would happen in our souls, hearts, and minds, our entire beings. This revival would revolutionize our life, our family, and our community. Backsliders wouldn't come sliding back to Christ in the church. They'd rush, they would run. New converts class would be the biggest class in the church. Young people wouldn't be asking, what's the church done for me lately? They would be asking, how can I serve? How can I be a blessing to these old folks who've gotten tired and wonder what the world's coming to? Now, it says in Scripture that God wants to do beyond everything that we ask and imagine. I've just listed a few of my feeble imaginings of what God would do if his spirit had control of us. God wants to do far beyond, far more than what I've just talked about was reading about a famous oil field called Yates Pool. It's in West Texas. It was during the Depression 
this field was nothing more than a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. He had a ranching operation, didn't make enough to pay even the mortgage. He had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, he grazed his sheep on these West Texas plains. Until one day, a seismographic crew from an oil company came and said there might be oil there. Could we please drill a few test wells? And so they did. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day, and many subsequent wells were more than twice that. After 30 years, one well was still producing 125 barrels a day. Mr. Yates owned it all, but he didn't know what he had. He was a multimillionaire living in poverty. And many of us Christians live in spiritual poverty. We are entitled to the gifts and fruits and energizing power of the Holy Spirit, but often unaware of our birthright. I was reading about a young artist. He was working on a particular picture that he thought would end up being a masterpiece, but it just wasn't happening. He tried everything he could think of. He sought the advice of his colleagues, even sought the advice of his master, but it just didn't happen. But finally he said, ah, what I need, I need to go sneak into my master's room and steal his brushes. And so he did. And uh, he gleefully began to paint. In the end, the painting looked just as bad as the previous ones. A colleague looking at his work and seeing his exasperation and frustration said, you know, buddy, what you need is not the master's brushes. You need the master's spirit. You need the Master's Spirit. And so do we. We need to open ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not to forget Him, not to fear Him, but to open ourselves to His ministry and say, God, through Your Spirit, have Your way with me. Let's pray. God, we have just scratched the surface. We confess that we know so little about the person and the power and the products of the Holy Spirit. But God, we want to learn. We want to be your disciples in this regard. We don't want to live impoverished and bankrupt despite the reality of the spirit that is available to us. So we open ourselves to you.
whatever that means. I pray that you would interpret that and make that plain to each person because you never say the same thing to all of us. We ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Invade our lives and take control. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, I want us to pray along with Brian Duncan an invitation that says simply, Come Holy Spirit, I need you.